Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Attack and Release Show, episode 160. I Woo. am joined... Wait, I am Matt, and I am joined today <laughs> by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. I had that little, like, 160 added in there, uh-huh. and then I lost all, like, the normal. <laughs> that's what that's what, that's what what happens. You screw up the routine, Matt. You threw in here one we word. Are. Here we are. Keep it rolling. I was just proud, because I just saw it was episode 160. Yeah, I, when you so. said that, I was like, jeepers. What are we yes. talking about still? Yeah. <laughs> what are we still doing Why here? Why are we here? Yeah. Sure, there's other things. I feel like if this ever ended, I would still require at least a weekly call. Oh, absolutely. Just to maintain some normalcy in my life. 100%. Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about today? Today, episode, I think it's 25 of the season. Yeah. No, that would mean that we only have one. I, I, I don't know. I think we get our numbers off. I, I don't know. We're calling this episode 25. We'll see how it shakes out. Um, today, it is uh, essentially why you may be getting paid for what you don't do as opposed to what you, I don't want to say do do, but you do do. Do do. <laughs> anyway, um, and probably why that's pretty darn important. We are talking, of course, in a mastering context. I do know we have people who listen, who are producers, mix engineers, or just artists, or just interested. And that's totally cool, and we appreciate you being here. Um, as far as a working episode, this would definitely be more towards like the mastering engineer, but I could totally see how like a producer, mix engineer, or even just somebody going about their life. It's like, you know, you might benefit from what you don't do or what you don't say. And I don't know. We can, we can all go down that track, but before that... Why don't you, Sam, take us into a little bit of housekeeping? Absolutely. Welcome to my house. Let's do some housekeeping. (laughs) Uh, Listener, thank you for being here again. Such a gift to have you here. This is that unique time. If you're new here, welcome to housekeeping. Uh, We would love if you could help us out. Please help us out. Screenshot this episode or past episode that you're on. And... uh, Post it on Instagram for us. Tag me, Most Mastering. Tag Matt for the Record Mastering. We will reshare your post or story. And then also, what is the most fun about this is we get to know you one-on-one, which has been a gift to get to know the community more and more each year. And uh, we get to talk to y'all, and we get to all finish records better together, which is great. So if you don't mind, just pause the episode if you want for 30 seconds, screenshot, tag us, help us out. Goes a long way. Like, share, subscribe if you want. That helps us go out further into the podcast universe. And that's all. That's all we ask of you. We're ad-free still. 160 episodes. Six Is this six years? Six years in? Well, we did have that Athletic Greens episode. <laughs> athletic Greens. An unsponsored ad. Check <laughs> Athletic Greens. AG1 has uh, really oh changed my, my gosh. life. Oh, my gosh. By the way, I do not take any AG1. Um, if you do, that's I fine. tried it, and it was gritty garbage. Yeah, it's it's an interesting taste acquired. Um, but anyway, yeah, we don't ask much. We don't have ads. We don't sell courses. We're just two guys still talking six, seven years into this. Are we going to like be so old eventually, like one of these days? And it's not even going to be about mastering anymore. We've talked, we've said all there is to say. We're like, oh, the kids, they just do it in their bedrooms now. And you just like hear our rockers creaking. (laughs) I remember in episode 160 when we were talking about what you don't do. (laughs) These kids. Man, we were full of crap. (laughs) Still not sponsored. (laughs) Still waiting for that check, Still AG1. For that check. Would love a diaper sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Anyway, that's housekeeping. Welcome to our show. Man, uh, let's, what is let's the music going to do during that? I don't know. That's funny. I'll have fun, though. All right, we'll see how long this episode is. Um, I think we'll have a decent amount to say. So, Sam. Have you ever found yourself doing too much to a record? Even to the point where you may be like, ah, I should maybe just start this over. And you just like wipe the whole session. Yes, I've done that. 
I haven't done that about these things lately, but in my first probably one through seven years, um, I would find myself essentially putting the faders back to zero for, uh, you know, just a little imagery. But yeah, I have found, you know, I'll go back at this stage. I have 12 years of logic templates of mastering chains, you know, in the box. And then I started going out of the box and then hybrid. And then I have in the box chains and out of the box chains now of how I like to do things. And um, the chains essentially get smaller and smaller as the years go on. <laughs> and um, I I know a lot more about the options and the tools that are out there, but the actual then what gets used is way more specific uh, at this stage. And I think when I first started, well, not I think, I know. I know when I first started for many years, I was uh, heavily concerned about proving my value and worth by... Um, changing things. Because when someone sends something to you, um, and a lot of kind of the classic internet marketing and a lot of marketing in the world is like before and afters. And so, you know, there's a ton of websites out there. And if your website's like this, not a knock on it at all, to be honest, but a lot of people will put the before and then the after to like show what they did at mastering compared to the mix to be like, oh, doesn't it sound bigger and punchier and brighter? And all those things can oh, be man, true. I like those. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge fan, mainly because I've, I've preached for a long time that the mix, I understand the mix isn't a finished product anyway. So it's not yeah. even a fair comparison. Um, the mix just isn't done. So well, it makes the mixer look like like wow, look at this. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it kind of makes the mixer. It makes you assume that there's things wrong with the mix, in my opinion, too, which kind of makes the mixer look bad. Um, but I feel like for a lot of people, when you start out in this industry, you are trying to really prove your worth by showing them what you can do. So I remember trying to be like, oh, I can make the drums punch harder, like the vocals you know, be more glued and in your face and louder. You know, loudness is a big deal. So like compression, limiting, limiting. Like if I can make louder records than the next person or compete, you know, with what they're sending me or even beat what they're sending me. Um, you eventually, you hit a diminishing return and or you hit the, the ceiling of zero, zero. You can only go so loud. Um, but the mindset to approach mastering or I'll say probably any creative endeavor with the mindset of I've got to beat and do a bunch of things, in my opinion, sets you up to fail. Because when I look at it, uh, you're not then most concerned about what best serves the client. So for me, I had, I've thought of it, um, this idea of like, uh, whenever I'm trying to explain mastering to people, I usually try and look at other industries that have similar positions in them. And one of the most recent ones was like, I'm working on a coffee table book um, about making records, and we have a book editor who's going to help out with it. And um, I basically learned that an editor is a lot like a master engineer. And like the editor is there to really look over the content and decide if this if everything is there that needs to be there in order for this book to come out and compete in the in the commercial market of books, coffee table books. And then the editor also will either just, if you trust them, go ahead and make changes or put changes next to it and let you see them and read them and you know essentially see what they're doing. So you can either let them just go ahead and do it or they can make suggestions and then get your approval and then do it to see how it looks and feels and reads. But I was like, I kind of had an aha moment the other day of like a book editor is a lot like master engineer. And master engineers, I think one of the biggest things that doesn't get talked about, and especially when we're trying to explain what we do, people usually say like, you know, we're trying to enhance and trying to make it louder and competitive and all these things. And I just feel like what I've learned over the years more and more is like I... I get paid a lot to not do things. I get paid to listen to the song and decide if it's finished or not. And that 
usually means I'm doing maybe a couple small things based on the direction that the client has given me. But also there are times where within full-length records where some songs basically, they, you know, basically don't get touched because they already fit perfectly within the record and with the way 2023 with loudness and how, you know, hot mixes come in already, you know, a lot of times the compression and level is there to be competitive. Um, It's not so much... I feel like anymore too, like people are sending me mixes that are plenty loud and by loud I mean compressed. Um, And they're more so now paying me to really just decide is this done and then also can you enhance what's there and not necessarily make it louder but make it presentable and like more cohesive and or more just kind of in an not enhancement but really just represent the mix better Um, and that can come from a number of ways. But to circle back to like the start of the question is, yeah, when I started, you know, there would be plenty of times where I would have six, seven, eight, nine, ten plugins loaded up, and then I would have the mix again above the track, and I'd just throw on, and for the people that have attended my mastering workshops in person, one of the first things we did was I had them master the song. You know, they could have the gear I brought in or any plugins, and then I just showed them the same song with an old Waves L1 taken off like 6 dB and that <laughs> that version pretty much quote unquote beat what everybody did and the simplicity of um, you know sometimes what you're doing and trying to prove A can make it sound worse in my opinion and fully depart from what was already great but also sometimes and most of the time I think when I approach a song, it's, you know, listening to what do I think the song and the mix is already telling me to do, and then also, Mm -hmm. what am I not doing? And the list of not doing is much longer than the things I'm doing. And I've learned to accept that my value and worth is heavily in what I'm not doing. And sometimes I'll occasionally get clients who'll say, hey, the master sounds pretty, it sounds great, sounds almost identical to the mix. And They'll say, you know, what did you do? And, you know, part of my explanation is, let me just tell you all the things everybody have, has done so well already. Like, my job is quality control and to tell you if this is done and ready to come out. Here's all the things that were perfect, and then here's a couple things that I thought the mix, you know, really was doing well, and I wanted to just, you know, make that vocal sit a bit better or make, you know, the bottom end just be a little more cohesive from start to finish, you know, in comparison to the reference. And, you know, then the response has always been positive of like, oh, thank you for the explanation. That makes sense. You know, I understand what you're doing now and how you approach songs or how mastering, you know, should go in theory. And, um, you know, that's, I found like a lot of security and peace, especially when I'm mastering now that like, I don't have to change everything in order for them to be like, okay, it was worth the the money. Mm -hmm. And... I think it's a very valuable lesson for everyone to learn sooner than later, hopefully, because it frees you up creatively and it just kind of gets rid of the stress and anxiety of when you send a song off, you know, that maybe it sounds a lot like the mix or you always have this like anxiety about, oh, I hope I got to beat the ref, you know, I got to beat this, I got to beat that. It's a terrible place to create from and long term, that's exhausting mentally and you're really then never seen your potential as a mastering engineer, in my opinion, too. And it's also kind of like, uh, I'm going to say it's misrepresenting what mastering can offer people, which sure. is not, you know, our job is not just to beat everything and make it all louder always. Our job is to know restraint and also when to do things. And uh, it's a, a lesson that if you can learn sooner than later, will make you a much better engineer and make you a much more confident engineer to be able to tell a client, hey, y'all crushed this already. And, you know, we didn't need to do much. Like maybe I just did, there's been times where I've been like, yeah, I just ran it through the better maker. I took one more DB off to get us to be in line with that song and that's it, you know? And, you know, whether or not you think that's worth the time, you know, it took me 10 minutes, you know, that's part of my job is to know the nine... 99 other things not to do to it. So anyway, that is a classic monologue 
in the bag. <laughs> it's like you're like you're not going to respond back, but it's like you know I could have done a lot more, but it's the whole thing. You hire an electrician, right? And you're like, well, why do I have to pay you eighty five dollars an hour plus right. parts? And it took you two hours, and it's like, listen, buddy, you're paying me for all the stuff I didn't screw up along the way. So this, there's a bit of a follow-up question that can be, that can come with like a level of like BS with this, because it's like, you know the whole thing of like, there are the memes of like a guy in front of stacks of gear being like, you, it's not the gear, it's the ear. Right. And it's like, you don't need all of this gear, but yet he's in front of all the gear. <laughs> Um, and it's like, you know, the irony of Andrew Sheps being like, oh, I'm going completely in the box. It's like, yeah, but what was tracked was tracked for like a million dollars of like holiness. Right. And it's like, you're receiving like perfect stuff. And so it's like, there's, there's a little bit of a correlative or there's a question that should essentially bring up a correlative that as you do this more, in theory, you do receive better quality uh, mixes. Yeah. Just as you do anything more, you generally will associate with people who do things better because generally if somebody's doing stuff, I mean, subpar, eventually they're going to be like, what am I doing here? And they're going to kind of go away and or you're going to outprice them and their budget and their clientele eventually. Yeah. And generally, you're going to end up 10, 20 years down the road working with people who produce a pretty nice product. And so, do you think that there's a correlation between, you know, like where you and I are and the quality of mixes uh, that we are receiving increases um, as opposed to someone who may be starting out at a lower price point, which is throwing no shade to where anybody is in their journey. I mean, we were all there, and I feel like we could talk about, you know, our past and some of the stuff that we've had to... <laughs> we have we have been graced with mastering. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, you kind of know where things can go, but it's like, you know, you start out and stuff's pretty muddy and mixes really aren't mixed. And right. Stuff's kind of all over the place, but I guess for the third time saying, as you do this more, it kind of falls in line and you start receiving a little bit more of a professional end product. Right. So do you think that there is a bit of a correlation to what you just said? Um, oh, like, like you don't overdo stuff as much because you no longer need to? Or do you think you could revisit some of those old mixes and essentially take some knowledge from today and produce a better product than you did yes. 10, 12 years ago? Yes, that would be my stance. I do get, quote-unquote, better mixes now. But I would say now it's much harder to, when you get to the the high level, the level I'm you know, we are at or some of us are at, like doing like large records for major labels and, you know, it's a lot more pressure to master a song that basically, to my ears, I probably could go, hey, the mix is good. You don't even, quote unquote, need it mastered, which is, in my opinion, part of my job. Mm -hmm. Where when I first started out, yeah, you get a lot of, a lot more rough, you know, rough mixes and sounding stuff because you're usually starting off with other people who are maybe just produce, starting to produce or starting to mix. And in theory, there's a lot more on paper that might need to be fixed. Um, but at the same time, if I was to go back to those projects, I know I could master them better now, but I would also say that, you know, what I was trying to do was kind of like not necessarily needed of like they were still when I got mixes from people when I first started they were still pretty stoked on the mixes 
Like, yeah. there hasn't been that drastic of a change of presentation of the mix when I get something sent to me. It wasn't like the first five to seven years, people were like, oh, I know this mix sucks, and oh my gosh, <laughs> like, this is just a trash can. <laughs> and like, you we'll know, just put up with it. Yeah, now everybody's like, oh, my mix is the best in the world. Like, that's neither really what I get. What I get is usually people saying, hey, we really like where this is, and here's some of the references, and, you know, we'd like you to do your thing. <laughs> You know, that's kind of been the response since from day one to 14 years in. You know, I if someone comes to me with, hey, this mix feels really bad and I can't figure it out, blah, blah, I usually just tell them, like, then you should either spend some time remixing it or I'll offer them, I'll be like, you should hire a different mixer. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you really don't like it, you know, and you need it to be X, Y, and Z, you know, or you want it to sound like, you know, this record, then you should hire someone who's more skilled at this current stage to execute that, you know, and you'll learn, especially like self-produced, self-mixed people who are trying to do it all. And I know why you do, you know, essentially why you do that is for budget reasons and not knocking it, but hiring a professional can be one of the most, um, you know, educational things ever. Like, just to hire a mix. If you're, like, mixing everything yourself to try and save money, I would encourage you to save up and spend money on a bigger mixer because you're going to get something back that you'll probably like, but you'll also go, oh, that's what they did. That's how they got it to sit that way. The energy that's mm-hmm. here, the overall vibe. Oh, the drums are there instead of here. Oh, the vocals here are there. Or you get it back and you go, actually, this sounds close to what I'm doing. Which is then just confirmation, which is, I spend a lot of time, you know, people send me songs to be like, hey, you know, I mastered this, what do you think of it? And usually, you know, and they'll say, you know, I think it's pretty good, and but I just don't, it usually loops into like, I just don't feel like I have any clients or blah, blah. And usually my answer is, yeah, this is like totally fine. You know, like what I'm about to say is just personal bias. I would maybe think about this, this, and this, but overall, yeah, this would fly, like you have the chops. The issue is, you know, you don't market, you don't have a functioning website, you know, you haven't reached out to mixers, kind of the business side of it. But to get back to the question, you know, like, I definitely get better mixes, but I think my job is harder and easier at the same time in that, like, I get stuff that sounds, I get mixes that sound way better than a lot of my masters from year one through five, you know, mm-hmm. like, and those songs, even through one through five, even if I go back to them, the potential is only so great for those songs. You know, like we talk about like moving letter grades. And if a mix is already an A, the best I could do is maybe try and move it to an A plus, you know, mm-hmm. in theory. But if I get a like a pretty, say, just like a newer mixer, you know, back in the day, like say it's kind of like a C you know, maybe I could move it to a B plus, which could be kind of sound drastic, but, you know, I just, I feel like it's, my job is harder in that you have to be really confident in your role and your place in in the creative process. And I think kind of everybody who executes at a high level understands that as well. Because even I talk to mixers and they're like, oh my gosh, I had such a hard time, like, competing with the producers rough and the producers like oh my gosh I had such a hard time like keeping the vibe of the songwriter songwriter rough you know and it's like the songwriter is like oh my gosh I had such a hard time you know everyone's fighting on, yeah like everybody kind of has this mindset of like I got to beat you 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 to show my value but like a lot of the people that I work with now are kind of all shifting into more of like a okay we understand we're all pretty good at this and like it's not mm-hmm. a look how big my fish is <laughs> contest it's a, yeah. you know, do you think this is ready to go? And if yes, then great. Let's just get it out. That saves time. There's a lot of time that can be saved by you saying, this is ready to go. Because when there's a lot of people involved in a project, every hour essentially costs money in theory, mm-hmm. especially if you're on a hard deadline. So if you start like screwing around with a song because you want to prove your value and then it you know, they hear something a bit different and they're like, oh, we got to send this to 10 people to get it approved and blah, blah. And now it's this and that. Where you could have listened to it and gone, you know what? This honestly sounds pretty great. And let me check the levels, check the meter, you know, let me mm-hmm. do my 
due diligence of just quality control kind of checklists. And you go, this is like ready to go. Let me just make sure we're not clipping, you know, going over, blah, blah. I always do that, like True Peak, like where's an extra True Peak? Sure. Usually all the mixes are over. Um, that's one thing I always check is like, are they going over zero, zero, even though in the dot says they're not, you know? Um, a lot of times they are. But yeah, like doing that, like getting, I used to think too, like I got to spend days on a song or hours and, a lot of times now at the higher level, they're like, how soon can you have this? And I'm like, you know, I can have it back in an hour. They're like, great. Like, please, sooner the better. We got to upload tonight for distribution. You know, and they're trusting me to sign off and say, like, a lot of my emails are, hey, this was absolutely dialed in. Like, we're good to go. Like, I did my thing, which was like basically quality control. Just change maybe a level or make sure, you know, this and that. But this is ready to go out. You should upload it. And they're saying, great. You know, thanks. That's it. So anyway, if I went back to my original first five years, six years of masters, I think I could master them quote unquote better by honoring the mix and the vision better. Um, and that would probably look a lot like removing a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. um, and you know whether that's right or wrong, I'm not sure. It's hard for me. Like hindsight, you could argue, well, if you threw the kitchen sink at it and it kept moving you for forward in your career, you know, got you to where you are now, then maybe that was the right choice. But I would push back on myself on that and just be like, you could have moved faster and quicker if you understood like what really the value of mastering is, which is like what you don't do, quality control, and being that really third-party unbiased opinion of whether or not the record is done or not. And the sooner you can grasp that and not feel like if someone goes, hey, this sounds almost identical to the mix, or hey, what'd you do, or hey, it doesn't sound very different, you don't go on the defense, you go on the education. You go, yes. well, it does sound the same, doesn't it? You're right. That's why I'm like, you're correct. <laughs> like, did you want... Yeah, that, that also you know, helps. It's a slightly disarming because people like to know that they're right. Right. And that's always what... People say things, usually they're correct. I'm like, you're correct. Yeah. You know, or sometimes people are like, it sounds like you did a 2 dB shelf here, you know? I'm like, you're correct. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we like that, right? Yeah, good. <laughs> you know, it's great. You know, that's what I felt like you need to do. And usually like, yeah, absolutely. But so many people go on the defense, you know, and it, it, I understand it because I used to be that way and like insecurity and feeling like you really got to prove your value by doing a bunch of stuff or run it through a bunch of gear because you got it. But the restraint and being that trusted person in the process who can say, this is done. We don't need to do a bunch. We don't need to do anything. Or we do need to do a lot. So there's nothing wrong. Even, I mean, in this episode too, there are times where you might need to do 12 things to it, you know, to get, yeah. the, get it to where it needs to be. Sometimes, I mean, I just had this happen this week. We did seven new songs, and we had done two songs two years ago. And they're like, hey, these two old songs do not fit on this new, these new seven songs. We love the way the new seven ones, you know, this new EP, the two put on to make nine to make an album, then do a stripped back version, make it 10 to make a full length, blah, blah. And they were like, can we just remaster the original two mixes for two years ago, you know, and pay you to do that? And I was like, yeah, but like, these are sonically so different. You know, yeah. And I was like, you need to be comfortable with me, like really moving things around. You know, it was a bit darker a couple of years ago, the vibe, lo fi thing. And now they want to like bright pop. Um, and they said, yeah, sure. And so I did. I, you know, I used handy dandy new ozone and used the stem thing on it. You know, I used plugins, I used hardware. So nice. And I changed. I mean, it, it felt like it was remixed. You know, mm -hmm. and they were like, great, this is perfect. Thank you. You know, and sometimes that's where you get paid the big bucks, you know, to be able to do nothing and to be able to then get your hands dirty and go, you know what? I've got 12 things I can use to move the bass, move the vocal, move the drums, make the drums hit harder, adjust the, you know, make the vocal sound brighter, make it feel wider while still feeling, you know, like the song. So that's again, classic monologue. I want to hear from you, Matt, because I just well, I asked you two so questions. Much I know, but what's your take on this? You get paid for what you don't do. Is that in your? Uh, so where do you ethos? want me to start? I want you to start with uh, in your 
when you approach mastering, does your mindset go to, you know, what shouldn't I do or what should I do? Or is this, is this, is what I'm saying good or bad? Or what do you think? I'm asking your opinion on this topic. <laughs> you can yeah, start well, wherever I also you asked want. You two questions. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I put it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, getting into it, I mean, I feel like we've done the mindset chat before where, like, when I get a mix in, in my head, 99% of the time, it looks like a puzzle. And it's how together is that puzzle? And are there still a few pieces that need to fit? And there may be some pieces of that puzzle where it's like, this looks like this piece is from this puzzle, but I think I don't think it's from I don't think it's from this puzzle. <laughs> and this piece isn't gonna fit here. And sometimes that's cool, but sometimes we need to say that. Um so have I ever found myself doing too much to a record? Yes. Uh I wouldn't say that recently I have uh gone out of my way to essentially completely remove uh <laughs> remove anything from this universe. I mean, I uh getting used to doing the morning thing. Uh for those who don't know, I'll generally have my first session between like 5:30 and 9 and my second this is in the morning and then my second session generally um, from about 4.30 until 6, and then I go home for dinner. Um, learning the morning session was definitely difficult just because your ears respond so much differently. And, I mean, you're still waking up to a degree, and it's like you need to like make sure you're in like a really good headspace to do this as well. So it's like if you're tired, you're going to bed late, which, I mean, I do. And it's like there have been times where it's just like, man, we went to bed too late and we're just in here in the morning. It's just like it's just not happening. Um, and it's like you just have to figure out other arrangements. And it's like, man, I really screwed the pooch on this morning session. It's like, And you're just like mad at yourself. Um <laughs> Or you make something and it's like you might just be listening to it too too long without an ear break. And I mean, whenever you're starting out, you're listening too loud. And so listening too loud, not understanding ear fatigue, you are fatigued. And like you're just adding things that just should not belong there. And then you come back and you listen later on and you're like, and hopefully you didn't send that to the client. Um, you've kind of learned, it's like, okay, maybe we need to do a little bit of quality control. And I wouldn't say I do quality control out of like self-doubt, but it's like, okay, well, let's come back and listen just one more time a little bit later today and make sure that we still like what we did. Um, so I will, I'll do like significant quality listens and make sure that I still really enjoy what happened. And I mean, there's times when I've been like, I think this vocal, I may have like bumped master rebalance up, up a bit hotter than it should because it's like right now I believe we're in an era where definitely the vocal sits on top of things Yeah, and even if you have like there's a fun trick where if you do have like a good vocal but the instrumentation's kind of like okay what are we doing here uh, if you put the vocal enough like on top of that enough uh, without it being awkwardly ahead of it then you can kind of hide a bad mix like an instrumentation mm-hmm. um, with a good vocal. So that's always, I mean, considerations. Um, have I done too much? Sure. And I have, like, if I come back to something, and that, this is years ago, and I did, I was like, what is going on here? I'm not foreign to completely, like, in my mind being like, this session just needs to be wiped. And I take the whole session, I throw it in the trash, and then I will like restart a whole session from scratch and just like a mental reset of like, okay, let's listen to this mix again for the first time. Let's see where we are. I mean, this is years ago, and that's how I used to do it. Um, right now, it's I'm pretty darn happy with V1, and if there is any revision, it's generally... Um, 
like, hey, can we like just bump this up or bump this down? And it's like it's 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 next to nothing. This is like knock on wood because we know how this podcast goes. <laughs> that like one of us says something and then it's like revision city for the next like four weeks. I'm gonna knock on wood again because that scares me. <laughs> Why did we say that, Matt? Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't really have a lot of stuff that I'm kind of that I'm getting back anymore of like, oh, well, this is this is a bit this way, this is a bit sideways. Or if you do get something that's like that to where like the actual like producer, artist, mix engineer, whatever, says something, which in all honesty, the mix engineer should kind of be out of the way at this point. And that's always kind of annoying when it's like, well, what does the artist think, not right. the mix engineer? That's always like, know your place, buddy. And the artist approved it. <laughs> the artist approves that the mix engineer swoops in and is like, hey, wait a second, guys. It's like, no, 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 no. You've been paid. Get the hell out of here. Um, whenever you do have something that you get, a, at least like these days for me, if I do get something, it's generally like there is a little bit of washiness on like how things were sitting to begin with. And so it's like they're kind of passing a problem off to you, but yet they have like a release deadline they want to yeah. meet. And so now it's your problem. And so to a degree, you have to meet them where they're at. And some mix engineers and producers I have run into are not willing to essentially help, which is super rotten. Um, and it's like I've like with like a shelf have been able to fix some things and like you know, this is so silly. It's like why? How could this not be fixed in the mix? And it's like <laughs> mastering should not have to fix things like this. Um, so have I ever found myself doing too much to a record? Sure, sure. Uh, it doesn't happen too much anymore. Uh, do I think there's a correlation of quality of mixes increasing? Uh, the quality of the mix is increasing as you do this longer with the you having to over-process in order to move things in a certain way. I do think there is a correlation there. Um, however, I will say that if I, because I have like very specific times of the day that I'm doing this, if I kind of have like a lapse in my schedule, say like I finished a single and it's, uh, it's 7.45 in the morning, or it's like 8.15 and I don't really have like enough time. And what I have next is like, in, like a full like eight songs. And it's like, uh, it's like, okay, I can either build the session or do whatever. What I've actually been doing in that time is I'll go back to super old mixes from like 2014, 2015. And uh, I won't try to beat them because beating that is kind of irrelevant in my opinion. But it's like, hey, what would I do today if I got this? And so I'll master it, and then I'll pull up the masters from back then. Just because I was doing stuff super different, I wasn't completely out of the box, or maybe even not at all. And listening to what is now versus what is then, and it's like, I hope it is better. And like the depth that is able to be like achieved in some of these old mixes, and um, just like some of the presence and whatnot of like today like like i mean even like just the plug-in tools that are available are incredibly better you know almost 10 years ago um and so that's kind of interesting i've had a little bit of like uh i, I don't i don't know the name of the emotion but it's kind of like there's like a touch of guilt of like oh if i would have only been where i am today back then i would have been able to serve that better and it's like I don't think that's really fair for me to put that on myself because it's kind of where everybody was in their journey but um, like I will have a little bit of guilt of like man I should like why didn't I know how to do this different it's like well you know just how we all how we all go and then you know as you touched on Sam you do have the whole meeting the, like when you're starting, meeting the expectations of, quote, this is what a mastering engineer does, end quote, that like essentially is like, because like you didn't have anybody teaching you how to master. Right. You were literally flying by the seat of your pants. Yes. I was flying by the seat of my pants. And you just, like if you spoke with anybody, nine times out of ten, it was probably a producer friend, a mix engineer friend, that was kind of affirming you in this, but at that point, it is 
them saying, this is what a mastering engineer does. Right. But that's all said from the perspective of people who don't do what a mastering engineer does. It's just what they saw Graham Cochran do on YouTube. And it's like, he's not a mastering engineer. Right. And so it's like, well, well, who the heck do I talk to about this? And it was so veiled back then. And now it's kind of, you just go to Lander, and Lander says this is what a mastering engineer does. Um, so let's kind of, uh, let's hop into this a little bit. We have, uh, are you good for 10, 15 more minutes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What don't you do anymore? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, Hopefully it's not like catching you too off guard. No, I mean, I used to do... When I first started, I was like really into the idea of trying to make things sound like analog, whatever that meant. So it was like... Mm. SPL, Twin 2, anything tube plug-in. This was back when I was all in the box, like chasing, quote-unquote, this idea that out-of-the-box was better. Yeah. Um, So I used to use a lot of, like, saturators and trying to chase that tone of made-up analog because I hadn't even spent time with mastering gear out-of-the-box, honestly. (laughs) Like, I hadn't. It's just this narrative that floats around the internet or in the music scene of, like, oh, the gear is like really what takes it to the next level, which some it can, um, kind of. But a lot of things that I don't do anymore is like, I don't want, I want to be careful because sometimes I will use them, but I'll call them like gimmick plugins or even gimmick pieces of gear, like things that do kind of like random excitement or saturating or just, you know, kind of like, Things that probably don't need to be there, but in my head, sometimes I would think like, ooh, this will be like the thing that, you know, makes it sound analogy or big. Um, and mm. usually it would just make it like more crunchy and sometimes mm-hmm. feel smaller. Um, or you've now destroyed like the separation of the image of the mix because you filled in every gap with like harmonics. <laughs> and so now everything yeah. just feels like flat. Um but yeah, I don't do that as much anymore. I don't... What else don't I do? I don't really... I will... I will master the song first before I listen to a reference. Now, a lot of the times, when I say reference, like the commercial song, not like the hot mix. Well, that too. I don't listen to the hot mix. I will master the song based on the genre it's in. So usually it's, you know, basically pop. And so I kind of know in general where I need to take that and I'll just master it how I think it should be mastered, my gut reaction, based on what they've said. Then sometimes I will go and check out either the Hot Ref or I'll check out the commercial releases. So say it's like a pop song and they're like, we want it to sound like Billie Eilish, this song. I will not go listen to the Billie Eilish song until I've already mastered it. Then I'll pull up the Billie Eilish song, check out, throw it up on the meters, more so just to see where did this thing land as like yeah. compression and overall loudness. Not so much where does it land sonically. Because what I've found is when people give me references, they're more concerned about the final level usually than like if I start pushing things to f- meet that reference, we usually depart pretty far from a mix in my opinion. And then it's like... Do you try to beat it at any point? No. Or do you try Okay, so I think I'm I think I'm saying this wrong. When you finally do listen to it, like your final level, yeah. Do you try to just um if you're if you're way above where their ref is, do you bring your master down? Yes. Or I do will. you let it stay where they're at? No, I'll usually bring if it's if it's more dynamic, I'll bring it down. But if it's more smashed, yeah. I usually won't smash it more. Like Yeah. Sometimes it is inappropriate. Yeah. I find like making it more dynamic is more acceptable to me sonically than just like pushing it to more dB and the the song falls apart. Yeah. Because I feel like I know, I mean, where I always land is competitive. Like I study the songs that come out and it's still like a wide range of acceptability, like 5 dB of of compression in range, dynamic range between like, New Music Friday now, especially, is like even more diverse. 
Like you'll get Latin songs and ballads and also like they've really made New Music Friday become like a global kind of like playlist yeah. now. Where it used to be very I mean, it's still depending on who's releasing that week, you can definitely be like, oh, they bought three spots. Like <laughs> certain I mean Taylor Swift. <laughs> like when a Taylor yeah. version comes out of her record, it's like, oh, there's three Taylor Swift songs on New Music Friday. Why? I'm always thinking in my head, why? Well, I know why. It's been paid for. So, you know, but overall, like, the the thing, I think this is a good thing. There's a, you know, there's a lot of variety and acceptability with what gets popular now and what does hit editorial playlists. But there's an energy that compression can bring um, mm-hmm. that I think is more important than the loudness. So I don't ever feel like I have to beat that's I used to kind of have that approach, I'll say, when like loudness was really kind of starting off of like, oh, let's get loud. If someone would send me, say, a Billie Eilish record, and I'd be like, oh, it's like hitting negative four, I'm like, I'll have their song hit negative three. You know, and then it's like, well, this is like kind of crunchy. Like <laughs> the Billie song already yeah. crunched and it's cool, but now I'm like extra crunch and I'm like, I feel like this is doesn't sound good to my ears. So Yeah, wrong direction. Let's match it, you know, or or a little less if it feels better. So, but most of the time I've found, as long as I'm like relatively close to their reference as far as final level, most people aren't terribly concerned. Um, you know, it's just, you get, as you have clients, you'll learn who is most concerned about loudness. And I think that's just, you know, part of experience too is like, Sometimes I get a client where I know version one is never loud enough. Like, I'll, I just know immediately. I'm like, okay, we've done 35 songs in version one. They always request, can you make it a dB louder? <laughs> you know, so I'm like, let's yeah. just get V1 out of the way because I know we're going to go to V2. Or sometimes yeah. at this stage, you know, I'll just be honest, like, I will just send over V1 a dB quieter than where I know it could go. So then I know when we I push it another dB, I'm like, yeah, that's the sweet spot. So I'll find the sweet spot yeah. at negative five, and I'll send it to them at negative six, because I know they're going to say, well, can you make it a dB louder? <laughs> then I get it to negative five, and I'm like, I'm that's guilty great. of this. And then I'm like, great. So I think that's part of just knowing, though, like, your job as master engineer is to, like, know those quirks and know those things, because I know way more, in my opinion, at this stage, because I do my education and homework of, like, studying where songs are at and what they need to be to compete and what they sound like. Like, I stay up on that, and I definitely think that helps me stay, like, relevant and continue to grow. Getting ahead of comments, I don't think that's manipulative at all. That's kind of like, you know where the song needs to be and you know what the client's going to say. Right. And you know, like I said, where the song needs to be. Yeah. And if they, every email is like, yeah, but let's go DB louder and then you're good. Right. <laughs> I just want to get ahead of things. Like, it's not manipulative. I don't think it's manipulative. I think it's like knowing your client. You know, it's yeah. like, that's what moves us along quicker. And like, I'm happy to make it a DB louder, but also I know part of the reason why it sounds so good and they're, they keep coming back is because I have a little bit of restraint to know like, okay, when we do keep pushing it a DB louder when I'm maxing it out already, it gets a little crunchy, you know? And yeah, I don't think they really want a lot of clients don't want that, but they're just, this is an unfortunate thing that, you know, some people are trying to fix, but it's really hard, honestly, to compare what I send back to people to what they hear on Spotify. Like, mm-hmm. Sonics has, like, Listen Hub now, which is pretty helpful. Um, but still, it's really hard to level match in theory or, like, to know what normalization is going to do um, once it hits Spotify. And... Um, I'm not talking about from like a sonic encoding, but more so where it's going to land as loudness. Of course, it's being quote unquote negative 14 LFS, but you know, I don't want to get on that. But so a lot of times people will be like, oh, it sounds louder, quieter than this. And I'll pull it up on the meters. I'll be like, actually, your song is identical. How are you listening to it? They're like, oh, I'm just hitting, you know, spacebar and preview and then jumping over to Spotify. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, there's a strong chance that there's a volume adjustment. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to level match the Spotify volume fader to your computer playback, you know, or maybe you're adjusting it as well between your DAW and Spotify. And, you know, that's just pretty much impossible to do um, to give that a fair chance. So sometimes people will be um, 
you know, thinking they're level matching. They're like, okay, on Spotify, it's like 75% up. And on the MacBook, it's, you know, 12, it's, or sorry, it's like four clicks. And that to me is like the same volume when if I toss it on the meters, if they had meters, they'd be like, oh, it's actually still a dB off. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, okay, done with that. What I don't do. What about you? What don't you do anymore? Um, That's I such a good question. <laughs> what don't you do anymore? Well, I mean, I the way that like we kind of run these podcasts is like, what's the natural? What's the natural next question? Yeah, you know. So, and I just felt like that was the natural next thing to end. And essentially, it's like, how do we end this? Right. This conversation because you know we got to we got to put some bookends on it. Right. Um, what don't I do? I used to, like, I feel like everybody in the beginning kind of did, like, whether or not, like, it was, you knowingly did it. Um, you may have done it, like, the whole, like, smiley face, like, the shelves on either end of the frequency spectrum, like, and whether or not you actually did the shelves, it's like, when you go back and look at, like, what you did, you probably made it a little bit brighter and you made the bass a little bit thumpier. <laughs> um, and you probably couldn't monitor how bad that was with the bass because you probably didn't have a way of accurately monitoring the low end. Um, but I don't know if I would make some of those mistakes today because I really like the AirPod Pros and the AirPod Maxes. I used to not like the Maxes, but I've kind of come around to them. Um and their low end monitoring is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, I won't say it's like dead on accurate, but it's like you can at least get a good sense that like you know there's a little like rumble in the jungle, and it's like yeah, like there's something happening down there, and it's muddying up some otherwise good material, and we should probably make an edit here. Um, also, a nice thing about AirPods is that like I would say I don't know maybe. Conservatively, seventy percent of people who are going to listen to their music will probably listen on a set of AirPods, whether wired or Bluetooth. And I mean, maybe not conservatively, maybe up to eighty-five percent. Mm-hmm. Like everybody I know uses these things and listens to music, whether it's at the office or whatever. And it's like you see people at the gym. It's like AirPods, 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 AirPods. Um, so. It's a pretty decent reference and like re- I don't think we've ever lived in a period of time where like you know exactly what a good chunk of the population of the world is going to listen back to these like masters on and so it's like yeah sure let's just go pop these in if you, if I have any questions normally I'm pretty good if I have any real big questions I'll normally throw on like I love my biodynamically like the DT770s they're mm-hmm. like 150 bucks I love those headphones it's like if I need to do a little like like deep popping, de clicking from something that wasn't heard in the mix and just remove it or just spectral repair or something in RX. It's like they are they are perfect. Um so I actually want to buy four or five more. It's like, you know, like little like uh FOMO that they're gonna go out of style <laughs> and they're gonna yes. be they're gonna be cut off. Well they're hundred fifty dollars I need to like stock up on them. Yeah. Um so yeah I would I would do you know, the whole smile treatment but like more times than not like accidentally making stuff too bright. Like I remember there's I think this company still exists and I, it was like one of the first plugins I bought. Um do I even yeah the Kush Audio Clarifonic. They had this like thing where it was like four knobs and like you could like and essentially, it was like different ways to make things bright or yeah. like make like the low end do stuff. It's like, oh yeah, the smile. Um, so that, uh, and I would say like on my Rupert Neve, like I would like do the red silk too much. Um, once again, making stuff a little bit too bright, too yeah. saturated occasionally. Um, I used to, and if you listen to earlier episodes of this podcast, uh, there was like the whole notion that. Sam was a booster and I was a cutter when it came to EQing. And I would do the whole frequency sweep. And I'm not saying what I did was wrong, but to a degree, like there could be an argument made that what I was doing uh, all those years ago was essentially removing some character that could have otherwise been pretty neat. And, you know, I did get a few critiques that like some areas felt more scooped than others. 
Um, and so, you know, kind of befriending Sam and learning his ways of uh, more boost, more of the time, uh, more boost, more often. More boost, more often. Is uh, not always the worst thing. Don't get me wrong. If you, like, I'll still, like, if there's some, like, kind of crud or whatnot, I have no problem getting rid of it. But I, I, once again, you're watching the people on YouTube, like, yeah, let's sweep these frequencies and pull what we don't need. And it's like, well, unless it's, like, really distracting, yeah. then don't do it. Like, leave it alone. It's probably some neat characteristic of something that somebody did, or they didn't hear it, and they're not going to hear it in the master. If they hear it in the master, we can just really quickly put in a cut afterwards. Right. But it's like just because it's bothering you doesn't mean it's bothering them. And also some of the stuff that you were like that I was taking out, like I, I'm not, I don't want to be overly harsh on myself, but it's like some of the stuff I was taking out, it's like I had to go searching for stuff to take out. And it's like, this is not appropriate. Yeah. So and it's like, I, I only did it for a little while. I don't want to say that like I was hurting stuff, but I mean, um, I don't, I don't think I was, but it was it was also you know the quality of some stuff I was receiving back then may have also not been of like the the quality that it is today as well. So I don't know. There there's a bit of that earlier correlation question exists as well. Um, let's see some other stuff that I do that's not gear related, at least like directly for affecting the music, and then we'll probably wrap here. Is I listen a lot quieter than I used to. Um, I mean, I probably write at like 80, 85 SPLC weighted. I don't really understand people measuring their room A weighted. I don't even understand like measuring like, you know, front of house guys use A weighting and it's like they have their argument, but it's like you literally are like nuking the low end, which it's like that's probably some of the part that is the most important to be measuring in the room. So I measure C weighted. I also don't know why we don't use Z weighting because Z weighting is just a flat weighting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like if I do meter, like, like I occasionally will, and it's like I want to make sure that like I'm like metering between like eighty and eighty five. Some people say they go down into the seventies, and I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I'm not. I'm not saying that I don't believe you. It would make sense if you were A weighting because A weighting comes in ten to twenty. Like whatever SPL, uh, whatever points, let's call them mm-hmm. <laughs> lower than C weighting. Um, so it's like I could see that, but um, anyway. So I listen quieter than I really ever have. I take m- more ear breaks than I have, and I'm not like oh, okay, five minutes is up. No, it's like it's like I don't know, but like if you're working on something for thirty minutes, or like you can feel yourself kind of like working yourself into a corner, like. Hey, let's go make a cup of coffee and uh, go like step outside for a minute. Like, I don't smoke, but like, let's go take a cigarette break or something. Like, go get some fresh air, come back and be like, you know, this is this was fine. And so it's like you can kind of catch the fatigue before it catches you, I suppose. And then uh, I do a decent amount of, Q, uh, of quality control and uh, QC just to make sure that what I'm turning in is something that I genuinely believe is like you know a good master. So that's kind of that. And we got like literally one minute left. Do you want to talk about anything else? No, I think it's great. Cool. I feel like I was kind of negative on myself at this. So <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm not always overly negative on myself. Um, anyway, do you want to say anything to the people or you want me to take us home? Take us home. Cool. Well, if you made it this far, thank you. Um, and you should be hearing a sweet beat cuna from the background that was made by the one and only sam moses if you wouldn't mind saying thank you to him for putting these episodes together and making them sound awesome he makes all these beats from scratch goes to the grocery store gets the eggs and the cheese and puts together these this this batch of sweet music has not repeated one in 160 episodes which is just insane so Thank you very much. You saying thank you to Sam would be an extension of my gratitude, and I would appreciate it. Um, if you need a mastering engineer, Sam can be found at Moses Mastering. I can be found at For the Record Mastering. And yeah, we would also love if you would leave us a comment or a review, some likes, some stars, thumbs up, um, or just DM us. That, we, that would be great. If you wouldn't mind, just take a screenshot of this moment and post it on Instagram and saying, hey, I listen to this podcast and I think you should too. 
we would really appreciate it. And I think with that said, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all having, have it on good one. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. The bug bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>